0: Good afternoon, and welcome back to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm author and host, Kevin Hopkins, and this is episode 179. Today, we're in John chapter 20, and we'll begin in verse 11. In the first 10 verses, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb, found it empty, went back and told the disciples. Peter and John run to the tomb, and we have the whole discussion of looking versus seeing versus believing and what kind of form believing can take remember even the demons believe and they tremble and when they come away from the tomb John believes in one way Peter believes but it's in another verse 10 says that John and Peter then return to where the disciples were gathered but Mary who's run along with them Verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. Here's another kind of look. It's it's that investigative look, but look what she sees. There she saw two angels dressed in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had laid, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Dear woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Dear woman, why are you weeping? Who are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him back. Jesus spoke to her and said, Mary. She turned. So apparently, while she was talking to him, she turned her face away from him in respect. It wouldn't be respectful for a woman by herself to speak to a man face-to-face, eye-to-eye. So she turns and sees him, and then she turns away and he asks her the questions. Then he says her name. Now she turns around and says to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, don't touch me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said all these other things to her. It's worth noting that Mary got to the tomb first. It was empty. She came back and told the disciples. Peter and John have a little foot race between themselves to get there. Mary's right behind They go in. She waits outside. They see the folded up wrappings that Jesus' body was wrapped in collapse right where they were. John believes by faith. Peter believes and is filled with fear. They go back to the disciples and Mary stays outside the tomb. She hasn't seen what's in the tomb. She hasn't been affected by belief or fear. She still believes someone has stolen the body of Jesus. And so she stays at the last place they knew he was, and she mourns. Her friend, her teacher, her brother is gone. And in order to understand the glory of this account, we have to understand the grief and I think that's true of most of our lives in order to understand the glory of life we have to be able to grasp the pain because without the pain the glory wouldn't be as high and it wouldn't make as much sense it's just the truth of living in this world without the pain we wouldn't understand the glory or we wouldn't even see it as that big a deal If all we lived in was spoiled glory all the time, the pain would seem like a horrible inconvenience, but the glory would seem like the normal way of life. But because we live in struggle and pain and turmoil and work and effort, the glorious moments stick out. Mary is in deep pain. She doesn't know what the boys have seen. They haven't told her they've just turned around and run back the other way. So, wiping her eyes enough to be able to see, she bends over to look into the tomb, lets her eyes adjust, and she sees something they didn't see. And here's things they didn't get to hear. Why? Were the angels not there when the guys were looking? I think the angels were there the whole time. I don't think the men were looking for angels. I think they were looking for answers. You see, women approach the world in a much different way than men do. Women feel their way through the world with their hearts. They look for the connections, they look for the influences, they look for the causes and the effects, they respond To the world. Men drive the world, typically by their own agendas. Peter and John, they're both men. Peter, more so than John, he bursts in and he's got an agenda. Number one, he's scared that Jesus really is out there somewhere. Number two, he wants to know when Jesus might catch up with him. Peter has a clear agenda that keeps him from seeing at this point anything spiritual. John, a bit more sensitive, is able to understand something spiritual is going on here. He doesn't know what, but he believes that something's up. But Mary, with her soft, broken heart for the one who who called her and saved her out of the ditch, out of the the alley, out of out of the worst life possible. With her soft broken heart, she looks in and she sees two angels, one at the head and one at the foot of where his body had been. What are angels? Well, the word in in the New Testament in Greek is angelos. The word in the Old Testament was malach. Either word simply means messenger. Angels are heaven's messengers. Now, the archangels, some uh, appear to be warriors. They, They appear to be battle generals, spiritual warfare generals. But by and large, angels are messengers. Even Gabriel, when he appears in the Old Testament several times, doesn't come for battle. He comes to bring a message when he comes in the New Testament to Mary and then to Joseph. He doesn't come to fight a war. He comes to bring a message. Angels are messengers. These two are here to bring a message. What's the message? Well, all they ask Mary Magdalene here is a question. We have to go to one of the other Gospels to get the words that they speak when they say, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, he has risen. And that's a pretty clear message. But here we're left to kind of infer the message. Woman, why are you weeping? And she simply says, because they've taken my Lord and I don't know where they've put him. It's like she doesn't understand that they're angels. It's like she just thinks they're normal people. And that's, that's got precedent in the Bible. There are several places where angels appear, like to Abraham and Sarah, where they look like regular people. They come and they sit by the fire and they eat and they talk. But the Bible tells us that they're angels. I think this is one of those places. The boys didn't mention that there were two dudes sitting in there but she doesn't worship them. She's not terrified. Anytime in the New Testament people see angels, it typically says, and they were terrified. King James says, and they were sore afraid. It doesn't say that about Mary Magdalene here. She's not afraid. She sees these guys and they say, why are you weeping? She says, because they've taken my master and I don't know where they've put him. They don't say a word. But she hears or senses that someone has approached behind her. You know that feeling, right? Somebody's there. And she turns around and she sees this guy. Now remember, it's not that light outside yet. But she can see that there's someone there. And she's obviously still weeping. Because he says, dear woman, same thing the angel says. Exactly the same thing the angel said. Dear woman, why are you weeping? And she says, because they've taken my Lord and I don't know where they've put him. If you've taken him, please show me where he is so I can bring him back. I can take possession of him. I'll take care of it. You don't have to feel like you have to do any more of the embalming or or care. I'll see to that. Just, just let me know where he is. Just show me. Where he is. It's like Mary Magdalene is from Missouri. Lord, sir, the word is kurios, it's the same word for Lord, but in the context in Greek, it, it almost always means sir. Sir, if you've taken him, show me. Show me where. Show me where he is. And I'll take it from there. Just show me. And Jesus, in that voice that she's heard a thousand times, probably with a little bit of a chuckle in his voice, says, Mary. And she recognizes him. She sees him. Remember our little wordplay about look and see and believe? Mary had looked into the tomb, that investigative what's going on here look. She saw that there was someone behind her, but she didn't look with intensity at him. She turned away to not be talking to him face to face. And then he says her name, Mary. And she turns and her gaze locks on his eyes. And it is, it's the Lord. And she says, Rabbani, teacher. And she goes to grab him and he says, nope, nope, nope. Don't cling to me. For I've not yet ascended to my father. It's the first time he says this. It's not the only time. He tells the disciples the same thing. What does he mean? I mean, truthfully, haven't we always just thought that he ascended one time? We talk about Jesus' ascension, right? He gets on the top of the Mount of Olives and he gives them the Great Commission and he goes up into a cloud. But he's about to ascend the first time. Now, Count with me. He died on the cross. He was buried in the tomb and he rose. He's come back. This is the first return of Christ. Now, some faiths believe that in the two days in between, he went to hell and he either cleaned house, took all the righteous out of the grave, or he did that and ran a victory lap through hell and said... I win, you lose, and those of you who are here, you're staying here now. There's no resurrection for you. There's no hope for you. You are where you're going to spend eternity. And those who were faithful, I'm taking them out with me. Either way, all the way, that's pretty cool. It's why the Catholic version of the creed says he descended to hell. On the third day, he rose from the dead because they believe Jesus went and declared his victory to the deepest, darkest place on earth. I've been having a discussion for the last few weeks actually with people who are circulating a meme on Facebook about God not being in hell. Well, that calls into question one of the basic orthodox tenets of the Christian faith, that God is omniscient, he knows everything that he is omnipotent that he's all powerful and that he is omnipresent that he's everywhere at the same time is there any place that god is not and so we've got this weird this weird construction that kind of comes from scripture that god can't look on sin that god can't be where sin is well, if that was the case he would never have been on this earth because it's been sin from the start but we've got this weird idea that God can't be where sin is so God's not in hell I don't think that's true hell is a place where you are eternally separated from God it doesn't say by what distance and which is harder to bear separation by a jillion miles where you never see you never hear you never think about the other person There's no chance you'll ever see them again. That's hard. But separation where they are on the other side of a glass, a window, and you can't touch them. You can't talk to them. The glass is too thick for sound to be heard through. All you can do is see them and touch the glass and wish that they could touch you, but they can't. That's a much more miserable separation, to be that close and yet not be able to be together. I think that's hell. That that those who are eternally separated from God sense him, see him. There's one in the New Testament that calls out to him, Lord, send somebody to minister, send somebody to witness to my family to tell them what's in store. And God says, nope. Wouldn't matter, even if one of the prophets came back, they wouldn't listen. That person is in the flame and yet can talk to God and apparently hear God. He just can't reach God. The chance to reach God is over. I think that's worse. Anyway, Jesus says, I've not yet ascended. He's been in the grave, which makes him unclean by Jewish standards, he has to be consecrated. He has to become clean. He has to show himself to the high priest. Ah, But he's not going to Caiaphas or Annas. He's going to the high priest. He's going to the authority of them all for his cleansing. He's going to the Father. Don't touch me. I've not yet ascended. I've not yet been cleansed. I am still death and and uncleanness. Don't touch me. But go to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending now. First return, first ascension. Okay? So Jesus came back in the resurrection and that's his first return. It's his second trip to earth. (laughs) It's his second coming. You get what I'm saying? He was born. That was his first coming. He has now been resurrected and come back to talk to Mary and the disciples. That's his second coming. This is going to be his first ascension. And I'm going to help you count all the way through. Go tell my brothers, I'm ascending to the Father now. And so she goes and tells them, I've seen the Lord, and then tells them everything else he said. How did that have to be if you're a disciple? I think that's the point at which Peter runs away. It's true. Mary's seen him. Jesus is back. I'm in real trouble. Because I'm a betrayer. The whole story is just marvelous, isn't it? I mean, it's It's fantastically perfect. If someone were faking this story, they wouldn't think of all these details. They wouldn't think of all these little things that that attach, that connect to all the rest of the story of our faith. It's too perfect to have been faked. Jesus is back. And it isn't the guy who's in a hurry and who's scared that gets to see him. It isn't the guy who's in a hurry, but wants to have faith in him that sees him. It's the woman who takes the time, who has the soft heart, who looks into the tomb with no agenda, but to to wonder where Jesus is. Please, sir, show me and he does. Can I just encourage you today to have that heart that's soft with no agenda other than to see Jesus. I used to go to church with an agenda to argue about the sermon, to, to pick apart the scripture, to analyze what was being said, to to listen and worship and and try to analyze what we're saying through our songs and what we're worshiping and how we're worshiping and. Oh, I don't know how I survived that life. Oh, well, I almost didn't. It almost killed me. Church almost killed me. Now I go to church with a heart that just wants to see what God's doing. The last few weeks in the little church that I attend, it's been fascinating. We've had a great summer, kids went to camp, met Jesus as their savior, rededicated their lives. Teens went to camp, the same things happened to them. Couple got saved, several rededicated their lives to the Lord. They've been regular in church now through the summer and their parents and their friends are starting to come. I know it's back to school time and families have had their vacations, but new people are in my church. Sunday, there were lots of people I didn't know. I don't know everybody anyway. There are people I'd never seen there before. God's doing something in my church. I just go to church because I want to see what God's doing. I want the Spirit to move in my little church like it hasn't ever before, at least not in a very, very long time. And it's been so long, I think it's going to have to be in a way they've never seen. I want God, by His Holy Spirit, by the person of Jesus Christ to break out in my church. And and I see it happening in in small ways and gaining strength. And, And I think, how many times was God trying to do this where I was? And because I was busy, because I was distracted, because I had an agenda, because I was trying to prove a point or find a point or make a point, I didn't see it. And it wasn't God's fault. God was there. The angels were sitting right there. My agenda blinded me. Don't be blinded by your agenda. Walk into church this next Sunday and say, Lord, quiet my heart, quiet my mind. Help me to take it in. Help me to see you sitting in this room with us and show me Jesus.